that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird. Nathan Baird in California. Not at Disney today, but with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Got to go see a practice, which is always good and interesting and is not happening at the college football playoff semifinals, for instance. So a little uh, eyeball action from Nathan Baird. And then the crossover interviews these two days, Tuesday and Wednesday. You get one side of the ball against the other team's other side of the ball they're going to go against. That meant Utah offense, Ohio State defense today. And that's what we'll dive into, Nathan. But I want to start with what you saw and didn't see at Ohio State's practice today. First off, where are they practicing in Southern California? So they are practicing at oh, – I knew you were going to ask me that, and I forgot the name of the place. Um, it's the place where the LA Galaxy practices. Okay, it that's is where called, they were three years ago too. Yeah, it's called Dignity Sports Health Park. So right next to the LA Galaxy Stadium. So a short, bumpy um, media shuttle ride across town. And near St. John Bosco, the high school that Wyatt Davis attended, that Court Williams attended, because I can remember being there three years ago and talking to Wyatt Davis's dad on the oh, sideline okay. as he as he watched practice. And then it was like kind of right down the road. And here we go. Uh, St. John Bosco is a place that Ohio State wants to be. So what did you get to watch? Was it just stretching or uh, was it a little football action? Yeah, I don't know how much you would say it was football action. We got some. We got some drill work. We didn't get any like 11 on 11 stuff, but we got some drill work. We got, you know, Kerry Combs down there, you know, mixing it up with the DBs doing some tackling drills. We saw some uh, punt coverage stuff. We saw um, some quarterbacks taking snaps and stuff like that. But a lot of it was stretching. A lot of it was some some pretty basic stuff. So uh, we didn't get to see, you know, formations and who was lining up where. It was more just a a look at who's there and who's not. So who was not? Who did you not see? So I did not see Seven Banks. Not a huge surprise because he missed the last two games of the regular season with an injury. Did not see Cody Simon, who we know also has been battling shoulder injuries, pretty a, a shoulder injury, a shoulder problem all season, and seemed to kind of aggravate it there late in the season. Did not see Antoine Jackson, which surprised me a little bit because Ryan Day had specifically mentioned him the day before when we were asking about people stepping up for um, Haskell Garrett. He had specifically mentioned Anton Jackson said like, hey, he's going to be playing his last game as a Buckeye. And I didn't see him out there today. And um, one more that I'm uh, now forgetting off the top of my head. Oh, um, do you have a notebook? Did you write it? Did you write it I down? Did. I did. <laughs> You're a reporter. You can report. I, I can't. You have a I notes app in your phone. You can do that. You ever do that in your phone? Marcus Williamson. Marcus notes Williamson app. was not there. Uh, I knew it was defensive back. Marcus Williamson, I also didn't see today. Now, the tricky thing was they were uh, swapping uh, uniforms a little bit. But in that case, you're trading with somebody. So even if I saw somebody who didn't look like they were in the right jersey, I could – like I saw number 13 – a red 13, well, I saw him when he was walking in, actually. And that was Jeremy Rucker today because he and G. Scott Jr. had had swapped jerseys. So uh, if I didn't see that number out there at all, I knew that even if it was the wrong person, that person wasn't out there. So I didn't see those guys today. You know what would be weird? What if they didn't swap jerseys, but they just swapped bodies? 
And it was like a Freaky Friday tight end thing. That it's like, one of them's a veteran tight end. One of them's a tight end transitioning from receiver. All of a sudden, they're the opposite of what they thought they were. And it's like kind of a Freaky Friday ripoff. It's not as interesting as like mother and daughter, right? Or father and son. It would be it would be tight end and backup tight end. Not as interesting, but maybe that was. All right, you're not going for it. He's in here like a football mood. I'm like, you're, I'm not working. I'm sitting around, you know, in the holiday season. Nathan's like, ha, ha, ha. I get it, Doug. I w- was reporting for 14 hours today. So could you move on? Kate Stover's playing linebacker. What do you make of that? Yeah, he was wearing number five, which I don't know how many number switches that is for him this year. It feels like he's had well, at least three or four at this point. And he was lining up with the linebackers. Like I said, Cody Simon wasn't there. So I think this is just an extension of what we saw against Michigan, right? That they're a little bit depleted at linebacker. I did see Tommy Eichenberg. I did see Steel Chambers. I did see Taraja Mitchell. So some of the other veterans were that present and accounted for. But with Simon out and just the other like lack of experience they have there, um, look like that was why he was probably playing there. He did get the one snap against Michigan. So I think the question I have with him, though, is, is this just a temporary fill-in thing, or do they look at him as a linebacker again long-term? And if so, that seems tough because they are very thin experience-wise at tight end as well. So I'm not assuming that they would do that, but the more they do it, I think it's worth asking somebody about, but I don't think anybody asked Matt Barnes today about it because we talked to them before um, we had, but we talked to him and the players that we got today before we saw practice. But if he plays linebacker, then they don't have a starting tight end next year, which would be right. potentially problematic. So, but I'll be curious what this means for the bowl game, because I mean, he lined up like in some warmups against Michigan at linebacker and then played one snap. It's like, okay, well, he's an emergency linebacker, but he also played tight end. The idea that like he's at practice at linebacker, at least for the period you saw him, is interesting. It's like, well, could they get by in this game with a whole dose of Ruckert and then extended G. Scott and maybe Cade Stover is helping fill in because Cody Simon's not there or something? That would be interesting if, if he plays actual – the question is, would he play enough linebacker to mean that he's not playing tight end? And that would be an adjustment for this Rose Bowl game. All right. That's not that's nitty-gritty stuff, though. I mean, the one thing about the people that you're talking about not seeing, you said Ryan Day on Monday when you talked to him had said they had a couple COVID cases, but it was not – what's the word he said? Like key Could, personnel, like, like yeah. key people. So, like, the guys that you're mentioning, right? I mean, Seven Banks, Antoine Jackson, Cody Simon, Marcus Williamson, I think they all would fall into the realm of key personnel. So we would not then assume that any of these absences are COVID-related. And it's just the nasty thing of COVID that they're not telling us, you have eyeballs. We know COVID COVID canceled, by the way, like another game today and a game in California, which is at least – it's UCLA, which is in Los Angeles and – couldn't play the holiday bowl. That's like not great that, that, you know, okay. If, if games are on the East coast, but like this is a California game down the road with the team down the road from the Rose bowl that had to cancel. So I, I I took note of that, but we just can't make any assumptions about what any of any of this stuff is or isn't COVID related. Right. And in this case, like I said, most of those guys that I mentioned, those four guys that I didn't see, um, and it wasn't like apparent that there were guys like off to the side, like we might like that. We think we saw everybody today that was there. Um, other, three of those four guys, there's sort of you could trace some some injury stuff too. I think even 
Marcus Williamson has, has had some things here and there. I, Jackson was the one just because Ryan Day had mentioned him specifically the day before that I wondered that I thought it was a little weird that he wasn't out there. But I don't want to speculate on that. We do get to watch practice again tomorrow. So we'll see if those guys show up again on Wednesday. All right. So let's talk about Matt Barnes, who in a world where the coaches that talk on these offense defense days are the coordinators. They're the people in charge of that side of the ball. It is not, you don't randomly get a position coach, you get a coordinator. So Matt Barnes, as you noted, it didn't say coordinator on his nameplate, but he is the coordinator. And so Matt Barnes spoke, and I think Matt Barnes's personal situation is like not the top of the list of things that are fans are worried about, but he was sort of in the the middle of the storm this year. And he was affected by everything that has happened. And he'll be affected again by Jim Knowles coming in sort of over top Matt Barnes again. What was the Matt Barnes vibe about what this season was like for him and then what his future at Ohio State may be? So I thought he was a little bit more candid than maybe he'd been before talking about some of these things. Um, but he's interesting to me because... He has I, he's been pretty honest about the fact that um, and I don't think he has to like go jump on a grenade for Kerry Combs at all or for Ryan Day, I suppose. But saying like, hey, when things are going really bad, like I was I was making uh, suggestions too that were failing out on the field. It's like there was it, he, he gives some collective um, credit to why the defense got better over the course of the season, doesn't try to take that take take the credit too much of that for himself just because he was the one calling plays. But I think he also wants to make it clear that like some of the, even though it's Kerry Combs is obviously responsibility at the end of the day. He was the one, he he did have the, his name card would have said defensive coordinator, unlike Matt Barnes. So it is his job at the end of the day, but just pointing out that like, hey, there were like like widespread problems at that point. And the word that he used was, um, I mean, I can't remember exactly the term he used now. It was, it, right at- you really can I get you a pen for Christmas? Could you? It's like I've oh my god, lot, I've written down a lot of things today. I didn't know I'd be talking about all these things. I apologize for not writing them down. I'm just going Blake. He talked about it being a tumultuous start to the season, but a, a tumultuous start to the season. So those first few weeks, um, I thought that was an interesting word to use. Tumultuous. That gives you some indication of what exactly was going on behind the scenes like we could kind of speculate on that we could assume exactly how rough it probably was on those guys um emotionally mentally whatever behind the scenes but it was clear that it would had become at sort of a crisis level so um he definitely sounds like he wants to stay though i mean he talks he, he has talked to jim Knowles. all of the coaches had individual meetings or at least i guess i shouldn't say all of them because if somebody knew they weren't coming back maybe they didn't talk to jim Knowles. but he had a conversation an individual conversation with Jim Knowles a brief one he said they didn't get into like the future or whatever it was more just a, like a like the players had like an introductory experience but you know he's he says he loves Ohio State he says he loves Columbus he wants to stay so um nobody really publicly is disclosing what the process is as to how that's going to be decided um i assume it has been decided and it's just a matter of when it becomes public as we've talked about before but there would seem to be a place for him as long as he wants it. But I would also think he's somebody that if he wanted to explore other opportunities, there would be some for him. I think we've all had him sort of on the on the stay category, right? That that he's the guy that they turned to um, when this stuff went south. And it did get better 
again with with him in charge. Um, so I, I think we think that'll happen, and I feel like he's kind of like the pivot guy almost because he's a secondary coach now. So I mean, again, somebody has to go. Somebody has to go. But if Combs or Fleming goes, then Barnes is a secondary guy and you're okay. If for whatever reason Al Washington would go, I think Matt Barnes could be the linebackers coach next Mm -hmm. year if they wanted to keep everybody else. And all of a sudden you have um, Larry Johnson, Matt Barnes, Parker Fleming, Kerry Combs, Jim Knowles. That would work. If you wind up sort of keeping everybody and Parker Fleming as the guy in the bottom of the totem pole just gets squeezed, well, Matt Barnes is a special teams guy, and he all of a sudden would take over again a lot of the special team stuff that they have given Parker Fleming this year because before, Matt Barnes was the Parker Fleming. He was assistant secondary coach who was in charge of special teams. So I think that – I think he probably may not know what he's going to coach next year, but I think if he wants to stay, he will stay. Does that – Makes sense to you? No, I think that's a good read of it, and I think he does have a flexibility as far as his assignment that not everybody does on this staff. Like he might be the most flexible in some ways, like especially what you're talking about. If they decided for some reason that they to, just to balance the staff again, that they couldn't have Parker Fleming be the special teams coordinator, and you could make him the safeties coach and special teams coordinator, something like that. Like you could split the duties up a little bit if you wanted to. So I I think I would, I would expect him to be back unless, like I said, if there were some place that needed defensive coordinator that swooped in and gave him that look after he's had that experience now. So again, most of the, you know, the information that I am gathering from the Rose Bowl is through what you are texting out to our tech subscribers. I am a tech subscriber myself, 614-350-3315. I thought you sent a great wave of info after the interviews on Tuesday. And then you immediately were sending out like, hey, here's who I'm not seeing at practice. I found it interesting that the Utah people that you talked to today, the Utah offensive people, one of the things you said they talked about was that Ohio State's defense does a really good job disguising coverages, which kind of early on was kind of the whole thing. They're static. They don't do much post-snap or right before the snap after they get set. And now here we are in a world, Nathan, where that's something that an opponent's bringing up. And that is a sign of the of how things changed on the defensive side of the ball for Ohio State this year. Yeah, and I even asked Cam Redding about that. And I was like, did you guys watch much film from early in the season on Ohio State? Because it was they, it's, they have evolved this year and that they were very static early on. He's like, yeah, like we, we sort of noticed that, but it wasn't. I think they've they've gone heavier when you're game planning. I think you go heavier on the more recent stuff. So I, but he, independently, I mean, those guys are literally sitting at opposite ends of the um, room. So it's not like they were just like, you know, mimicking each other, but both him and the, the offensive coordinator um, said that, that they thought that that would, this was a team that did a good job making things hard on a quarterback, or at least giving a quarterback things that it has to think about. Like not, not, um, not giving a quarterback the same look after the snap as he's always getting before the snap. And, and that I think we saw, have seen examples of that over the course of the year of Ohio state progressing in that way. I also just don't know if that's like the most crucial thing to beating Utah, but we'll see. No, 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 no. I, I don't think it's at the top of the list, but it's just, if that's, if that all of a sudden is like an identifying characteristic of an Ohio state defense, that's an interesting thing to note, although it's all going to change for next year. So it doesn't matter. You can note it one final time before everything changes. We had talked 
when we did our Ohio State Utah sort of film breakdown as the last pod before Christmas, we talked a lot about Utah using three tight ends. And I think we kind of came to a consensus that there were parts of this matchup of the Utah offense and the Ohio State defense that we didn't love for Ohio State. It was like, well, that's kind of what Utah does. And I'm not sure how equipped Ohio State is to stop that. And then it sounds like those 13 personnel heavy tight end packages were mentioned today by Matt Barnes. And they maybe are saying the same thing. Yeah, so I talked to Redding and said, like, is this part of one of the fun things about quarterbacking this offense that you know that this is a alignment that teams just don't see this much or don't see that opposing defenses don't see nearly in the heavy portions that you give it out and that that's a really tough thing for them to match up. And he said, yeah, because for instance, when they were doing their cutups of Ohio state, and I guess he's getting this from their defensive staff, but they were like, he said like 15 snaps of 13 personnel, three tight end personnel packages all year. And as we know from watching Ohio state, those are like exclusively goal line situations, maybe some other kind of short yardage fourth down situation or something like that. It's, it's very specialized. Whereas in Utah, it's almost the base package, like 12 and 13 personnel is really what they run out of a lot. And I talked to the offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig about that. And, and he, it was very like striking because of how many times we've heard Kevin Wilson say like, I know you guys want us to uh, this is, is this a good Kevin Wilson impression? Like I know it you was guys a, felt like it was a little extra southern. It was a little gruff, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know how to speak o- Oklahoma or wherever it is yeah. from. But like a little bit of a draw. Like you guys want us to throw to the tight end. You guys want us to throw to the tight ends more. But you know we we got all these really good receivers and and Utah's offensive coordinator is the opposite. He's like uh, everybody says we're supposed to be throwing to our wide receivers more, but we throw to our best players and their best players on offense are their tight ends. But Barnes Barnes noted it, right? Does he think doesn't he think it's a little bit of a tough a tough matchup? Yeah, it's it's just one of the things that they're thinking through and and it's you know, if you're missing linebackers and if you're missing guys like Marcus Williamson, then it probably becomes even a little bit um more of a wrinkle, but like who do you put on these tight ends? Like um and they're not all the same guy. They're not carbon copies, and that was something else I was kind of trying to get out of the Utah guys like do you go for a prototype or is it sort of each one has its own it has their own flavor and they said it's more like that that you can take three or four different guys each of their own kind of body type own skills and mix them up and that causes more problems in itself so that's what kind of Barnes is saying that like do you use a linebacker to match up on these tight ends because they are more athletic than your average tight end and if you're going to put a safety on them are you compromising your coverage in other ways? Are you making yourself more susceptible to them being able to run the ball and things like that? So that's one of the things I'll have my eye on um, on January 1st is just how who does Ohio State put on those guys and how does that hold up? Did you get any sense of whether Barnes thinks or talked at all about whether they are going to have to play three linebackers more often because that is not a look that Ohio State has really used much this year? I don't know. Well, I, was, I didn't ask him that, and I don't know if he – I don't believe he got that question specifically um, over the course of that time he was there today. But um, I, again, that sounds good. But like now if you're missing Cody Simon and yeah. like, who is that third linebacker? Are you putting Kate Stover out there now for a lot of defensive snaps? Like I, I on I one mean, hand, you should be able 
to play Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and Trajan Mitchell and play right. play three yeah. linebackers together like that. So I, then, when you have to give those guys a breather or whatever, or somebody gets hurt, that's an issue. But like Taraja Mitchell again has sort of disappeared, but he's played and he knows how to play linebacker. And again, I think some of his stuff at times is that just sort of like in space and maybe not the fastest guy in the world, but it's like, can he stick with the tight end? I know they're athletic, but like, you know, or make a tackle on Tavion Thomas. I I think some of that could work. I feel like if they feel like they need to play three linebackers, they they have three, maybe they don't have four and five and six that they would completely trust if Cody Simon doesn't play, but I don't think they would be unable to give that look if they wanted to. Yeah. I I think we've already talked about this a little bit and the, how much of a difference do you see between a Sam linebacker and an inside linebacker? And those three guys that you mentioned have all been exclusively playing inside linebackers. So is that a part of the wrinkle that goes into Ohio State's thinking? Can one of those guys adapt to what is a different position where you're out in space? Um, one thing that did come up today was I asked Matt Barnes, kind of the obligatory, hey, guys, step up during um, bowl practice. So who's who's stepping up this year? Who's caught your eye? And at first, he kind of gave the obligatory, well, I can't really pick one guy. He's like, but if I had to pick one guy right now, it would be Court Williams, that he is playing in a way that is impressing them. I think they he impressed them with what he did against Michigan State. And that is a guy who just from body type and position and everything else would make sense in a matchup like this. Maybe he could be what is essentially the Sam linebacker. Um, now it's just a matter of, are, do you, are you playing in an alignment that gets both him and Hickman and I guess Shaw on the field at the same time? And you certainly could. Could you want to call your shot on this? I feel like you've been not dancing around it because you wrote a story about Court Williams and you talked to him during the Bull Media Day and he's kind of a primary guy. We talked to him a lot in our breakdown stuff. You want to call your shot on Court Williams? Is he going to play like 60 snaps and unveil himself as a guy who's going to be a primary part of the 2022 defense? Is this his coming out party in the Rose Bowl down the road from his high school at St. John Bosco? I don't. I wouldn't have said that maybe before today, but I may be more inclined to say it today because if Marcus Williamson is out and if Marcus Williamson can't play, then that is their best cover safety against the run, as we've talked about many times. So does putting just playing more of just like a two high safety concept and then getting Court Williams on the field as the bullet or whatever you want to call him as in that same linebacker spot? Is that the most effective combination of things that helps you both defend the run and give yourself good matchups against those tight ends. Cause I mean, cover safety, the way we think about it again, there's been a change I think in how we have to think about positions because the guys who we thought were the bullet are actually just a deep safety now. And the guys that we considered cover safeties and have to cover slot receivers and were almost more like cornerbacks for a while. That's what court Williams would play in this game. That in the box role, he's going to be in the box as a third safety with Bryson Shaw, and Ronnie Hickman deep, and then if you're going to play Court Williams, I mean, we've seen Court Williams play that deep safety, but I like him in the box, and he's not going to have to cover a receiver because they're not going to ever have three receivers on the field. They're not going to have two receivers on the field for a lot of snaps. They're never, I think literally they will have no snaps with three receivers on the field, even if they get down 21, like, and they have to come back. They're not going to take their best players off the field. So I think Court Williams could be down in the box, play the run, cover a tight end, be physical, be in space, and show us what he could be. Like, I, th- I think there's a lot about this matchup that is really good for him. And then, again, you start taking some personnel away for Ohio State. It's like, well, who are you going to play? It's like, well, play that guy. Figure it out. He'll figure it out. 
He's the he's the biggest tape warrior that these guys have ever seen. Nobody prepares like Court Williams. Tell him what you need him to do, and then if they gave him the last month to work on it, he'll be ready. Yeah, and you know, they're the first choice if you were just going back with the base defense that they've been playing would be Lathan Ransom to take Marcus Williamson's spot and play cover safety. But I think you've got to have a plan B. You've got to have something to pivot off of that. I mentioned when I texted, I mentioned Cam Martinez, but the more I thought about that, like he was really not really playing cover safety. He was playing nickelback really more in what they were doing, or almost like a dime situation, right? Like he was only on the field as like an extra defensive back. It wasn't ever in one of their, he didn't fit into one of the base slots. And then they moved him to free safety. I did talk to Matt Barnes a little bit about him. And that's kind of why his season didn't, the, the the success that he had at one point didn't really catapult him elsewhere because they moved him back to free safety and that required an adjustment. So I don't think he would really be that much in the mix as a, as a cover safety guy. I really think it would be Lathan Ransom. Again, this is all if Marcus Williamson can't play. It would be Lathan Ransom. But I, I the more I think about it, what we're talking about here with getting Court Williams on the field more in conjunction with Ronnie Hickman, I think makes a lot of sense. And again, it's the tight end situation. I don't think they love Lathan Ransom against the run either. No. That, that, that's why Marcus Williamson played more snaps. Lathan Ransom, even though he's a safety. I mean, Lathan Ransom played in the bowl game, in the national championship game last year, was covering Jalen Waddell. Right. So if they were covering Jalen Waddell, well, that would be Lathan Ransom instead of Court Williams. If you're dealing with three tight ends and a team that's going to run the ball, then let's get Court Williams on the field. So I do think we like that. I do want to talk about Cam Martinez because it's another thing you had texted out to the tech subscribers. That He's a kind of a smaller guy and again I don't think you want him in the box if you're playing kind of that nickel corner slash cover safety whatever you call it and he's matched up with a slot receiver then that's a good position I think for him if that position is at all sort of like not disappearing but changing in the Jim Knowles defense then I think he's either got to be an outside corner which we have also talked about in this bowl season, or he's got to be a deep safety. But again, if you have two deep safeties instead of one, that's opening up opportunities. As much as sometimes it was like, oh, they do, do they have enough safeties? It's like, well, if, you only, if you're only playing one deep safety, you don't want seven guys at that position because you only need one. Is he caught in between or does it feel – I mean, you said Matt Barnes said they moved him. Does it? Did you get any sense like is that permanent now? Do we think he's a deep safety in this in what they want to do? I was trying to get to that. And, you know, his point being that they, you know, they move him from, and I would not equate cover safety with being the nickel guy. I think it's a, it is a different enough role now, especially the way the terminology is, you know, nickel is, he was coming in and it really, it doesn't even, I don't know that it was really nickel as much, right. That it was more like almost dime situation, like definite, like fourth cornerback trying to get on the field almost. Um, so I know, I mean, he's working with the safeties, but it's still just, it doesn't feel the same as what Marcus Williamson does in a lot of ways. You Like I'm saying now, like you wouldn't really think of him just going in and subbing in for Marcus Williamson and like a, on a, like on first and 10 at the, at the opponent's own 30 yard line or whatever. So I, I tried to get to that though. Like, is he a free safety now? Does he stay there? And I think it's hard to say what Barnes said. It's about getting to know your people and he has a chance to be he has a chance to be one of the best. So whatever that position is, it's hard to predict the future at this point. Um, so I think it's it, it is we've had this discussion many times about other guys where like we like they like this guy. They think he's a great athlete and they think there's somewhere on the field where he fits. But, you know, Craig Young just left. Um, we've seen other guys where it just never works out for them. The one thing I will say that's interesting for, as you, you mentioned with Cam Martinez is 
you're having turnover at the coordinator position. I think there's a reevaluation that's going to be going on in a lot of ways in the program. And maybe that actually in some ways helps him find his spot now that you're bringing in fresh eyes and it's a, it's a new moment. Now that you have experience now also in both situations, does it help you actually find where you're supposed to be that somebody else comes in and gets a new opinion of where on the field you're supposed to be lining up? So he could be listening because frankly, if you're trying to get a handle on this new team that you're joining and someone said, Hey man, I'm just trying to get sort of a vibe of like what people think about the team. It's like, obviously I'm not going to learn anything, but I just want to get a sense, right? It's like, Hey, Jim Knowles, listen to Buckeye talk, man. They'll shoot you straight. They'll let you know where the, where the people are at. Jim Knowles, if you're listening, figure this out. Ohio state, do not let Cam Martinez slip through the cracks. Do not let Cam Martinez slip through the cracks. Find him a position. Figure it out. So if you can be a deep safety, let's make him a deep safety. Open your mind. If it can be a little bit of a shorter outside corner, great. Let's do it. But he's too good of a football player. This guy is a football player. And I get that the defense kind of changed in midseason, and you've got to adjust personnel packages to whether teams spread it out or whether they use a bunch of tight ends or whether they run the ball or whatever. Cam Martinez, the Michigan game, for instance, that was probably never going to be a great Cam Martinez game. But like – if Denzel Burke can do what he's doing as a true freshman after a guy as a guy who didn't play only defense in high school, but he's a competitive football player who figured it out, let Cam Martinez be the next Denzel Burke then. This is, as we always say, it's one of the one of the urban Meyerisms that I uh have taken most to heart. Nathan, we've talked about on this pod, first two years on the program, third year on the player. Like, but you've got to set the guy up to have a chance to take advantage in year three. So I'm going to, this is, we're going to leave this partially on Ohio state to get Cam Martinez in a role and then let him figure it out. Cause I, we think there's a good football player in there. I okay. asked, um, I, was, ahead, I asked um, Hickman about Cam Martinez too. And he said, anywhere you put Cam, he has the ability to shine. That guy can play anywhere on the field. And he wasn't just talking about defense. And I said, Oh, well, so do you need to think about moving him to offense? He's like, well, I'm not going to go that far. I'm like, hey, there's a guy right over there who's who's done this before. It worked, you know, f- flipping a guy to the other side. I don't obviously they don't have an, an urgent need on the offensive side of the ball the way that they did when they moved Steel Chambers over to linebacker. But um, there's clearly respect throughout the program for Cam Martinez, the athlete. They just need to find out where Cam Martinez, the football player, fits in. God, it makes me nervous. As as flattering as quotes like that are, he can play anywhere. It's like great. I don't want him to play anywhere. I want him to play somewhere. Figure it out. Jim Knowles, put it on your list. In your office, when you're conjuring stuff up and figuring out defenses and the door's locked, put on the board. Find a spot for Cam Martinez. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, so I want to talk about a couple Utah guys in particular that were out there on uh, – on Tuesday, no offense to the tight ends. And I know that you said they're different or whatever, but they're all Cam Farthington to me. And, and I don't really care how, how different they are. They're going to play tight end. They're going to throw it to them. They're going to block sometimes. I get it. Tight ends. We know what good tight ends look like. Tavian Thomas. Is it Tavian or Tavion? It's Tavion. Tavion Thomas. Ohio kid, recruited by Ohio State, didn't work out, went to Cincinnati for a year, then went to Juco, wound up at Utah, running back, number one running back for Utah, first team all Pac-12 among the Utah players available on Tuesday. And Nathan, it sounded like he he gave everybody 
a pretty good story uh, about playing in this game against the Buckeyes. Yeah, interesting guy and a guy with some, maybe the only guy in this game with some actual personal motivation. I actually guess that's not true. We'll talk to um, uh, Clark Phillips. Clark Phillips. I started to say Ryan, Ryan Clark. Clark Phillips on Wednesday. I, maybe. I don't know. We may actually not talk to him. I don't know what we're supposed to get from Utah's defense and the, the the thing for later this week where we were supposed to talk to everybody was canceled. But the one other guy who would maybe have some personal stake here, but he called it, uh, Thomas did, a, a love-hate relationship with Ohio State. Like he grew up watching Ohio state and watching Braxton Miller and Ezekiel Elliott and being a, a fan, you know, just up the road in at Dayton Dunbar and was being recruited by Ohio state and was expecting, like, I think he was on the verge of like, I'm ready to commit to Ohio state. And then Ohio state, whether that's Tony Alford, whether the program as a whole said, well, actually we think you probably need to go to Juco for a year. And there had been, I'd seen some reports that they thought it was academic at the time. He described it more that Ohio state wanted to sort of see him, on his own, I think academics were a big factor. Like they wanted to see him go get that side of his life straight and that the, the, the Juco route would help him do that. And he opted instead to go to Cincinnati. He actually played, I think, a little bit in the second half of that 42 to nothing game a couple years ago, uh, people might remember, and then ended up having to go Juco anyway. He, he, um, and grades, he said, were fine coming out of Cincinnati, but he, he wanted to transfer to, I guess, another opportunity. And then when he did, he was surprised that there weren't that many offers out there for him. So he ends up going to a JUCO for a year and has a really kind of um, the way he ended up at Utah. The way he described it was he just texted Zach Moss, who he didn't even know. People might know the former Utah running back just sort of texted him out of the blue and said, like, hey, I'm trying to find a place. And. Zach Moss sort of helped him get in touch really? with the Utah running backs, uh, get with the Utah staff. And uh, one thing led to another. And now he's like one of the best running backs in the country. So um, now, I mean, I think he's, it's been a meandering road for him. I think he is pretty, it seems genuinely ecstatic about the way it turned out, especially considering it was a fairly late in the process that all this came together for him. And early this year, didn't start off great for him at Utah. He had some fumble issues early on. Didn't wasn't a sure thing that this was going to come together in the way that it did. But he is a guy that Ohio State's you know concerned about. Matt Barnes called him a bruiser. He's a a, a tough guy to take down and um, uh, pretty physical for as fast as he is. And uh, you know Matt Barnes said also along the lines of, "Hey, we see a lot of big good running backs in the Big Ten. But I would actually push back against that a little bit. I don't think Ohio State saw a lot of big, good running backs in the Big Ten this year. The Kenneth Walker game was an anomaly in a lot of ways. And the we saw what happened against Michigan. So um, I, I still think this is a tough matchup for Ohio State. I know you mentioned something with Mayan Williams. Is there like a is there a little bit of a Mayan Williams it, at all comparison? Because Mayan Williams is a guy who was like sort of a late Ohio State offer, a late flip from Iowa State, Ohio kid. There's some similarities almost in their paths a little bit that one worked out for Ohio State and one didn't, but um, there might be similar kind of players. He he mentioned Mayan Williams because somebody had asked him, like, do you know any of the Ohio State players? And he was the one that he mentioned by name because he and Mayan Williams had both gone on a visit at Cincinnati at the, the same weekend. But I thought that was an interesting uh, person for him to bring up just because, you know, around that same time, another in-state guy, another guy who was maybe um, – but, but, but the way it worked out for them, I think – 
I mean, Thomas was someone I think Ohio State was legitimately interested in, but had reservations yeah. about. And whereas Mayan Williams was somebody that they caught up to late and had a spot for. So interesting how that is, has worked out for each of those guys. But, um, you know, Thomas, again, at this point, like it's it's hard to say he's in a bad situation. And again, Thomas is a little older than Mayan Williams, right. but I think it's a, it is one of those things again. And, I'm, you know, I think there are times where it doesn't work out at Ohio State for a guy. And that's kind of better because it's like, cool. If Tavion Thomas was at Ohio State, he'd be backing up Travion Henderson. And he's at Utah, and he's the starter, and he's a dude, and that's not so bad. That that sometimes, if you're a kid at that level, even if you can go to Ohio State, sometimes it's not so bad to go to a place where it's almost as good as Ohio State. You can have as good of a season as Ohio State, but you have a better chance to have a primary role. Let's talk about Cam Rising, the quarterback for Utah. Did anyone call him a turbocharged Sean Clifford? Did anyone... No, I, I don't think that out. came up. No. Okay. This is why I you know you said dump. Matt Barnes. I, 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 well, as Stephen mentioned the other day in the podcast, yeah, my line of questioning is, this is what I think. Is that right? So that would just be doing that all over the place. Has so, anyone told you yet that I call you this name on this podcast that <laughs> nobody in Utah right. listens to? Yeah. Um, they'd be like, who's Sean Clifford and who are you? So I know you said you wrote that Matt Barnes, you texted to the tech subscribers that Matt Barnes said something like he's faster than you than you want him to be and more physical than you want him to be. That Again, this is a guy with the package of skills that was once upon a time recruited by Oklahoma, wound up going to Texas and transferred to Utah. He He's a pretty talented quarterback, but I still remain um, – What's the interested sort of in his physicality? He just he's just a little bigger and thicker than a lot of quarterbacks you come across. What what was the vibe from Ohio State defenders and trying to deal with this guy? Yeah, he said yeah, all, both of those things, and that he throws it better than you want him to. I think there was a lot of respect coming from Matt Barnes as far as what Utah's going to be doing personnel wise. I mean, just individual players. I think there was a lot of respect there, and from talking to. Um, rising himself, like one of the things that I thought was interesting, somebody else who I think covers Utah came up and was asking him about his first year in the program. He spent games up in the box with the offensive coordinator, who um, Ludwig, who was across the room from us. And I'd never really heard that before from like a player, like a, a quarter, even a quarterback, like hanging out in the box during games and kind of getting that view of the offense and getting that sort of um, um, perspective on the thought process of a game. And I thought that was like really smart. In fact, I, I wondered like, well, they have rules on like how many coaches can be in the box or they're, they just let anybody else up in the box at once. I guess, I guess you can send players up there and you can't do that at Ohio state because your guy calling your plays is down on the field. Although I guess you could have somebody up there job shadowing Kevin Wilson. But th- that to me I, was, was something that I thought was an interesting wrinkle because when Matt Barnes talks about this offense, he very quickly mentioned this is like an NFL style offense in terms of, especially in the way that he uses those tight ends and the way that they'll do a lot of pre-snap, you know, shifting and motion and stuff like that. And as we've spent so much time talking about how CJ Stroud's best asset is his brain. And I think that may be a factor with Cam Rising too, that this is a guy who understands how to orchestrate this offense. And they know that it's not simply talent that's going to 
um, bring out the most of this offense. It's the timing. It is the uh, the sort of the leverages that you have against defenses when you're using these guys the right way. And I want you know how does Ohio State disrupt that? Does Ohio State uh, get enough pressure against this offensive line? Is it through disguising some things, uh, maybe throwing some new things in now that it has a few extra weeks to work on things and give him something that he wouldn't have seen on film? There's got to be some way that you have to uh, interrupt his thinking, I think, in order to really take this Utah offense off stride. I am always very interested in and, and the final podcast of the week. We'll we'll do our usual picks and and check in on how we think this game is going to unfold. I always say during bowl season, I leave room for changing my mind because I do believe in trying to get a sense of where teams are based on how guys are talking and just sort of things you try to pick up. I'm not saying it's foolproof. It actually is probably imaginary. It's like, I'm just like, Hey man, I'll tell you what I thought this about that game, but those nine minutes with Ronnie Hickman completely changed my view. Right. I mean, that's what am I, who am I kidding? But I like to pretend that I am a, a observer of the human condition. You've had Disney world, Disney. Oh my God. I just called it Disney World. After all the grief I gave you, I you have to send back your Disney ear. World. What am I doing? Just send back my ears. Yeah. What's your vibe? Do you have any vibe like motivational, intangible? Utah's jacked up. Utah's tight. Utah thinks this is the biggest game in program history. Ohio State seems a little down. Ohio State seems super excited. Ohio State wants to prove something after the Michigan loss. Like I think we would. Uh, from the outside, before you get there, I think the perception would be Utah cares more. Ohio State's coming coming down off a disappointing thing. But I do think it's interesting that they are coming off a loss because it's not super fun to end the year with two straight losses. But like in 2013, they lost to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game. were super disappointed because they thought they were going to play for a national title. It's actually pretty similar to this year. It's actually That's probably a, a, actually pretty – Good comparison. And then in the 2013 Orange Bowl against a really good Clemson team, they came out and played pretty well. You know, Braxton Miller hurt his shoulder, but they lost. But they were ready to fight, I thought, right? Like they played like good football against a really talented team. So it felt like coming off that disappointment, they did get back up for the Orange Bowl. They had some young guys playing in that game, Von Bell, that kind of stuff. We're going to see a little bit of that in this game. Some young guys giving Ohio State maybe a little bit of juice. But that's my sitting in my couch vibe. What's the on the scene in California vibe from either team? Well, I think you get a very, I don't know for lack of a better term, but like sort of a business-like approach from Utah. And I mean that in sort of a positive way for them that I, you know, from talking to Ludwig today, from talking to the players on this team, they, they talk about this game like they're scouting any other game, getting ready to play any other game, like a big game, not like it's a, you know, but, but, but still like they, they tr- they're treating this like an opponent that they have to try to, to go beat. And I'm not saying Ohio state's not doing that. And in fact, I would also say that while it was natural to have some of those concerns about Ohio state's motivation, that's going to vary, I think from player to player. I don't know that there's like a team wide vibe to get on that. Or at least I haven't really been able to glean one. I wouldn't say that I've talked to anybody yet that I thought was nonchalant or or like just sleepwalking through this. And on, on, to the opposite, you talk to guys like Zach Harrison, you the or um, or even like Ronnie Hickman today. There's still just a palpable 
distaste for the way their last game went and uh, they can still prove something in this. I mean, it, tangibly, maybe it doesn't actually help them win a single game next year, but I, there does seem to, I, I sense some of that individual motivation in those guys. So if you get, if, if as long as you're, you know, first string guys and, and uh, are, are have that motivation and show up ready to play that I don't think is necessarily going to be that big of an issue. All right. Two more things I want to ask Nathan about. Zach Harrison and avocados. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug and Nathan would love to have you as a tech subscriber. We're telling you it's a great value right now. 614-350-3315. It's like you're there. It's much cheaper than flying to California. Much cheaper. Nathan flew to California for you. Now he's there. Go get the texts for free for two weeks. See what you think. 614 340-3315. You text that number from the cell phone that you want to get the texts in. And then when you text that number, you immediately get a link back to sign up. So that's the easy way to do it. If you want to like do someone else's cell phone or something, you can do joinsubtext.com backslash Buckeye Talk. Right? That's it. I was going to look it up. I think that's right. Join. (laughs) This has been a stellar podcast for us, knowing what I'm supposed to say. By the way, all the things I've stumbled over, I texted them out correctly at at that moment. So, uh, But I I left my phone on the other side of the room, so um, I couldn't refer to them. Yeah. Joinsubtext.com backslash Buckeye Talk. So you do that. You put that in. I always get the backslash and the slash confused because, I mean, it's back, back, back of what? Like a slash is a slash. I mean, like is is one slash? Nathan's like seriously, Doug. Backslash starts from the back, right? And slashes this way. Forward slash starts from the front. Slash. But there are, is it every internet slash a backslash at this point? Is anyone front slashing on the internet? I think front all slashing is a specific coding thing. I, I I don't know, man. I took I took some of that stuff like five hundred years ago when I was in high school, but I think I've told I've told I've told this story before but again i'm in the mode of repeating stories because i've been doing seven years of podcasts my senior year of high school i was in uh, of, of college i mean i was in the journalism school and there was a special class that was joint between the journalism school and the school of communications and it was something and it was like a computer thing and i took it and i didn't really understand it and you had to make this stuff and i remember i did a thing on a computer where i had a video of people singing take me out to the ball game at Wrigley Field and then I drew like an Adobe paint shop I drew a baseball bat and if you clicked on the baseball bat the video of people singing take me out to the ball game came out came on the screen and I was like what is this this is ridiculous what is this class this is not what I signed up for I am never going to use this and it was like how to make a web page it was like how to do html like how to do the internet and I was like this is useless and I was terrible at it and I forgot everything I learned. And that's why I'm where I am today sitting in a couch while Nathan travels the world eating avocados. Have you eaten an avocado yet? Yes or no? A California avocado. I had some guac with um, dinner last night. Was it mashed and at your table? Did they mash the guac at your table? No, dude. Like you pretty mashed. <laughs> no, this is like the media spread. They don't have a uh, guy uh, coming table to table at the media spread. They uh, they open a bag somewhere and splotch it out and put it in a cup and set it out. It was fine. It was some good like fajitas and some carne asada. And this morning we had uh, chilaquiles. Actually, we had two. So there's the breakfast everybody in the hotel gets to have, 
which anybody who's here doing media stuff also gets to have. So I went and got up early and did that and then went in the media room um, and found out there was actually breakfast in there too. So I had a second breakfast today. Second breakfast. Yeah. Oh, now I feel less bad for you. Well, that made up for the, what we ended up having for lunch, which was uh, not even worthy of first lunch. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, go get some extra guac. The guac masher has been laid off. We apologize. COVID. Cutbacks. Zach Harrison was asked today about his future. You talked to Dewan Jones on Monday at Disneyland, and he was given the, well, I kind of have to see. It sounds like you thought Dewan Jones kind of thinks he's going to stay, but he's got to get the full evaluation. Zach Harrison clearly in a different spot than Dewan Jones. Dewan Jones has played for one year. Zach Harrison has played for three. Dewan Jones was a two-star, three-star recruit. Zach Harrison was a five-star recruit. I think Zach Harrison, a lot of people would have put him on the three-and-out plan that certainly some guys come in with. I would have said, though, I don't think Zach Harrison came in with maybe quite the dedication to the three-and-out plan that some guys have. I just think it's maybe the way Zach Harrison and his family approach this whole thing. Very pragmatic, very smart, very serious about um, everything I think about his college career and his football career and his life. So I think the Harrison family makes smart decisions and makes them with like a – thinking about things from every different angle. So I could also imagine it's like, well, Zach Harrison probably doesn't know because I don't think they probably have decided because there's a million things to think about, but nobody cares what I think. What did Zach Harrison say about that on Tuesday, Nathan? So his answer was almost 180 degrees opposite of Dewan Jones, even though they're basically giving the same answer of 50, 50 and that Dewan Jones is saying, well, I'm actually, I have some concerns. Like I have some doubts as to whether I'm ready for the NFL, but I want to hear what the NFL evaluators have to say. Cause all it takes is like one team to say, no, you're ready to go. And it, it might be worth going. Whereas Zach Harrison did not bring up in the time that I talked to him, I didn't hear what he said to everybody, but I was over talking to him and I don't remember if there were even any other um, reporters at his table at the time and asked him, Hey, what's going on with that? And he never mentioned his NFL evaluation. His answer was, I'm paraphrasing this here, but I have to be able to leave and say that I'm happy with what I accomplished here. So not like, am I ready to go play in the NFL? Not how high will I get drafted? Am I satisfied? Or actually he used the word happy, not even satisfied with what he accomplished at Ohio State. And so my follow-up was, well, are you happy right now? And he said, that's a great question. Good follow-up, by the way. (laughs) Well, for real. I mean, it's like, so he, cause he could have said no. Right. right. <laughs> and then it would be like, okay, then I think, I think we have our answer, but it, it sounds like he is truly in an evaluation process of like, Hey, uh, you know, his career has been good, but not like brilliant. And I, again, that's always just a weird thing to bring up. He's been a very productive player for Ohio state. I don't think you would call him a, a detriment to this defense or anything by any means. He's been a good player. And, They've had success here, but the year where maybe he was supposed to have the most ownership of their success is the worst year that they've had in the three years he's been here. And the defense was in large part a big reason for that. And and if you include that with individual performance, uh, you know, should Zach Harrison be happy, happy to use his term with his with what he's accomplished at Ohio State? Like when he puts it that way, I wonder like, well, under what circumstances would you say yes right now? And and to some, 
he could say like, Hey, I, I came out, I played as hard as I could. I gave it everything I had. He's been here for three years. He's played a lot. Um, that, you know, I don't think there's anything you, I, he would have no reason to be ashamed of his career by any means. So maybe that's the way he looks at it. Like, Hey, I came here. I did a lot in three years. We didn't do everything I wanted to, but that doesn't mean that it was a failure. I'm ready to move on to the next level. But just the way he talks about it, when you think about, and he mentioned something else about, I asked another question about how usually when you lose a game, you either play the next week. When you're at Ohio State and you lose a game, you play the next week or you lose at the end of a season like they did last year. And then that's a very different scenario. But like it's been a while since they lost a game and then just had to sit in it for like a month and think about it. Because Sometimes even when you if you lose to Michigan, you might still be in the Big Ten Championship game or something or like have another late season loss or you lose a Big Ten Championship game. But that's an even shorter turnaround. But this has been like a month that they're just kind of sitting around. And he made some allusion to that it is like, and, and that this loss was especially hard to sit with. So he just the way he talks more and more makes me think he would be a guy leaning towards coming back. So I would put this on Jim Knowles' whiteboard also, up with the figure out a position for Cam Martinez, is tell Zach Harrison what you're going to do for him if he stays. And no coach should be in the business of trying to talk a player into something. And Ryan Day talks about that a lot in recruiting. Like, we don't want to talk guys into coming here. Because if you talk them into coming here, then they get here and they're like, ah. Oh, I didn't actually want to be here, but you talked me into it. Your sales pitch worked. You don't want Zach Harrison or anybody to, to sort of stay at Ohio State and then be like, why didn't I go? But David Ojabo was one of the Michigan players on uh, that availability for the Orange Bowl on Tuesday. And I know he was talking – like David Ojabo did like – barely played before this year at Michigan. And he was talking about a lot about how Mike McDonald as a defensive coordinator sort of like helped – create a, a world where David Ojabo could do the best, could be the best player he could be. And I could imagine Jim Knowles sitting Zach Harrison down and being something like, man, a David Ojabo is going to be a first round pick. You're twice as talented as David Ojabo. I'm the, you do what you got to do. I'm telling you, man, if you're here, you're an All-American. And my defense, what I'm going to have you do, you're an All-American. You're going to cover tight ends a little bit. You're going to get out in space a little bit more. We're going to rush you in a way that's going to get you to the quarterback. We're going to free you up. We're going to make you dangerous. And you're going to leave here with a tree and maybe a national championship ring. But you do what you got to do. But I hope you know what a great player you are. And I'm just telling you, you don't know how good you can be. Because I got a spot that we call the Jack that I'm going to call the Zach. And let's go. And like... If you're Zach Harrison, if you're pragmatic Zach Harrison, who is looking for it, – it's interesting. I mean, I, I just – I really just do think Zach Harrison has a mature view in the world. But this is like an emotional thing, as you're saying. I mean, he doesn't have a chart that's saying, well, this is his – but he's like, do, do I feel good? Leave it. Uh, or am I going to have regrets, right? I mean, the one thing you – regrets, man. Woo, baby. Regrets. Regrets. You can go and have a great time in the NFL, but if there is something that sticks in you that for the rest of your life, you're going to be like, ah, man, I just, right? I mean, and a lot of guys can go and not have that. And and you might have a little bit of regret, but man, I, I could just see, I could see a world where you're not talking him into anything. You're just presenting a world where it's like, we're going to make you happy with how your career went here. Give us one more year and you'll leave happy. 
I guarantee it. And it'll, maybe it'll get him a tree, and maybe it'll get him another playoff shot, or maybe it, maybe it won't. But maybe they can use him in a different way that'll at least make him a little more versatile. We talk about versatility all the time with these pro guys, right? You move around a little bit. He knows how to play straight up 4-3 end in this defense. There's a wrinkle to this coming that might fit him really well, and I could see him being intrigued by that. The other thing I would remember for him is there are guys who are a little bit old for the process sometimes, and that becomes one of the things that pushes you up where you're like, hey, like uh, I'm, you know, you get to be a 23 year old senior or whatever, and it's like, man, it's probably time. Like, I don't, I can't wait that much longer to get this started. That's not an issue with him. He's actually a little bit young, or he's at least on on normal schedule for his age. So that's another thing I would, I would factor in. It's just we sometimes talk about these guys when they come in with that recruiting ranking, with that pedigree, with that those accolades, and the way that the coaching staff and the, the the program talks about them. And then you equate them with the other guys who blew through here in three years and who have been. Like, there was no reason for Chase Young to be here for a fourth year or the Bose. Like, that's just – it would have been – baby town frolics to watch those guys out there for another year. Just, it would have been, it would have been insane. Um, but I don't think you look at it that way with him. And you also see when he gets these evaluations back, I think they will make a prudent decision. As you said, that's how they've, they've approached this ever since he was in high school. But I, I don't think he's going to probably get an evaluation back that says, Oh yeah, you're surefire first round. Maybe not even surefire, like second round pick. Like, I don't, I don't know that there may be enough, like, wrinkle in there enough wiggle room in there that Ohio State could again you're not trying to talk him into it but you can say to him like hey there's still like there's still a ceiling that you're reaching for like you're not capped here I kind of wondered about that you know we talked I used that example of Josh Myers last week where I mean he ended up being a second round pick but maybe as a center, maybe that's as far as he was actually going to climb. That maybe made it not because he couldn't get better, but because just that he was at where teams were going to value him. And I don't think that's the case with, with Zach Harrison. If there's another level for Zach Harrison with his size, with his makeup, I, I think he is a, a, an even more intriguing pick. I just don't know that he is yet. So that may be further reason why it's the prudent decision to come back. And I do, I do believe in the thing, like you don't, you don't want all your guys to leave and feel like you're the last hanger on. But that 2019 class, that's that crossover class. Mm. Garrett Wilson is leaving. Jamison Williams has transferred. Somebody else transferred. But like most of the most of the guys are are here. Craig Young transferred. But like it's not he wouldn't feel like he's being left behind, right? Ronnie Hickman's gonna be here. Harry Miller's gonna be here. Um, Enoch Mahi, Steel Chambers, Cade Stover, Noah Potter, Tommy Eichenberg, Bryson Shaw. There's just, you know, like it's not like his whole class is leaving. So, again, yeah. he might announce five minutes after the Rose Bowl that he's going to the NFL, which would be a, an absolutely reasonable, smart decision. But it does feel like there there might be some things that – if the word is, are you happy? I, I think there could be a world where he could be happier if he gave it one more year. And that's not us trying to tell a kid, don't go get millions of dollars. He he just sounds, when he says those things, he sounds like a guy unsatisfied with how he's leaving his situation. I don't think people who are content are asking that question that way. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a reason why he's phrasing it that way. Um, so... 
I know I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I, I, I'm, we'll get that answer. I think probably we're not have to wait that long for it. I'm intrigued by what it's going to be. And it, it is one of those things. Like when you said, well, like, are you happy? If you had been like, Oh no, yeah, I'm totally happy. Oh, I'm definitely leaving. <laughs> like that also would have like, Oh, I have to ask myself, am I happy? Are you? Oh yeah. hundred percent. I played for three years. I'm a really good football player. We won a ton of games. I've made the playoff choice. How could I not be happy? I'm out. It's like, oh, like if he was just like every now and then it doesn't happen that often. But every now and then someone says thing, 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 thing. That's still a question. And then when you ask the follow up, it's like all you have to do is ask the follow up. And then you, when you ask the follow up, they're like, well, yes, here's the answer to it. I was just making you ask the follow up. Mm. And it's like, oh, thank God. Usually it doesn't happen. Usually the follow up doesn't get you anywhere. But you got to ask. So, again, good job asking. All right, any uh, any uh, stuff you want to add? You going to the beach? Uh, going to uh, you going to go back to Disneyland? You going to do probably uh, never again in my life. Play? Actually, you know what would be good? I know you're a poker guy. How much poker do you play? Uh, so I had a I have a game that I was playing on Zoom with some friends that was like a weekly game that was going on for months and months and months. And then when COVID sort of backed off and people started like going outside again in the summer, we we got away from it. And we just recently um, restarted it. They were trying to get me the next game that we're playing actually is going to be on New Year's Day. And I was like, I think I'm going to be a little busy that day. But I, I, I so I'm getting back into it. How do you play poker on Zoom? The Oh, I shouldn't say it's on Zoom. There's a site that we play through there's a site called i want to make sure i give the right name because oh this you're gonna look up the <laughs> stuff before it's like oh, i can't remember what Ohio State players let me get the poker site it's very me. similar it's called donk house and you it's very like that sounds dirty exactly which is why i wanted to make sure i said the right thing uh but it's it's like very rudimentary graphics and you you it but it's um you go there and you don't no money goes through that you settle up separately but you just um, it keeps track of the winnings and you know everybody's stack over the course of the night, and then we have a somebody sets up a Zoom call so that we can talk to each other while we're playing the game through this other site. So you're zooming and playing on the site at the same time. Yes, and and no limit hold'em. What do you play? Right, correct. Okay, what's the most? Does any does anybody ever go crazy and like push all in like really early in the night and make everybody mad? Um. Well, they're only mad if if they win yeah <laughs> no but i mean it's like is it a friendly game or is it like hey it's a hundred dollar buy-in and i'm all in on the first hand because i'm here to win and it's like oh okay well then uh, cool i lost my hundred dollars and i'm leaving I, I would call it a friendly game among people who are um and i'm not like a uh a, 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 some kind of pro at this i'm just it's it's a friendly game among people who take the strategy of the game seriously the, the 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 point of bringing this up is that there was a time when on some bowl trip, sort of like before everybody was playing online, when we fell into a poker thing on a bowl trip to the extent that I do believe I brought like a silver case that looks like, you know, how like it looks like a Tommy gun that you're carrying along. Like I'm on a bowl trip, like in my suitcase, I brought the chips and all the stuff so that we could play in the media room. And, uh, I'm bad at poker, but but you guys could play poker if you want to do that. I won a media game uh, on the beat in at the Fiesta Bowl in 2019 that we had one night. I think there were multiple games. And that was the only one that I ended up playing in. But I think there were just chips in the media room. There's a pretty nice media nice. room there. Here we're just in like the hotels, like one of the rooms here at the hotel, like a ball, uh, 
a, you know, just a banquet room or whatever. So I don't know that like the hotel, the rat has chips. That was really more of a game room, like a, a setup. You know what I mean? And oh, this, yeah. this isn't so much. I don't know if anybody brought chips. So I don't know if we'll be playing on this trip. No, the Fiesta Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl has like like volunteers who are the pl- are the dealers and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like a back poker room in the media house. Yeah. And uh, and one time, I mean, I've been at the Fiesta Bowl enough times. One time, uh, one of the people on the Ohio State beat, I believe, threw a poker chip at somebody else on the Ohio State beat after a particularly uh, unfriendly hand. Mm, no names, so, huh? Nope. We'll get it on text. <laughs> I'll text it out later. <laughs> okay. It wasn't me. But then I did help someone walk to their car one night after that and i made sure that they didn't drive and they walked into a cactus tree with their eyeball uh after one of those poker games and the old cactus uh prickle right in the eyeball i mean not great i've been hearing some uh past adventure stories so far already on this trip because i wasn't here for them so they always everybody who's been on this beat like there's guys who have been on around here for you know 10, 15 years or more, and they've all got these these bold drinking stories. So I've been trying to like, you know, accumulate some blackmail material if I can. No, we'll definitely just get them drunk and then take their money in poker, man. That's a Nathan Baird style. Do that, baby. Um, so yeah, Buckeye, Buckeye Talk After Dark, where we give secrets of the beat, what happens on bold trips. We will be back on Wednesday night with another pod. We'll be doing the opposite side of things. It'll be the Ohio State offense and the Utah defense. That'll mean Devin Lloyd, the linebacker. That'll mean uh, maybe some of the young receivers, at least sort of talking about how that's going to work out. No no players for sure. I mean, I would assume Travion Henderson's in that mix, but no word yet on who you're talking to. Uh, I, I don't know that off the top of my head, no. I would imagine we'll probably get some Thayer Munford action, maybe some Jeremy yeah. Ruckert, those kind of guys. Sounds right. Probably not CJ because you got CJ already, right? Probably, so. Yeah, and we got Jackson already too. So it could be yeah. uh, could be some more offensive line action. Um, That'd be great if you got Julian or or Mecca or somebody like that. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we'll be back with that on Wednesday again. We're doing this like we're putting them up later in the in the day because we don't want to hold them. So like normally, like oh, we could save this for the Wednesday morning pod, but it's not. It's gonna be the Tuesday night pod, and then we'll have a Wednesday night pod, and then by the end of the week, we make sure to make our picks for this game. But for now, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.